1: Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com.
0: This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly slice of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 166. This week, Ellie chats to Andrew Baker, journalist and author of New Book, From Bean to Bar, A Chocolate Lover's Guide to Britain. They talk about the bean to bar movement, why single origin is important, and how to taste chocolate. A little clue, most of it is in the smell.
1: Hello, uh, I'm here with Andrew Baker, who is a journalist and international chocolate judge. And he's just written a book all about bean-to-bar chocolate. So it's sold as a chocolate lover's guide to Britain. And as a chocolate lover, I'm excited to find out more about the world of cocoa. So let's start off with what bean-to-bar means for chocolate.
2: Okay, bean-to-bar means pretty much what it says. We're talking about chocolate that is made on a small scale Um, by people working with carefully sourced cocoa beans and they're in charge of the whole production process from collecting the beans through roasting them, processing them and making them into the chocolate bar. So it's, it's like one small group of people has charge of the whole process.
1: Okay, and so the origin of food and drink we consume has been prominent for a while now, especially when you think of coffee and craft beer. Um, When did the beans bar movement really start to flourish in Britain?
2: It took off in Britain probably about 10 years ago, um, Mm. but the the seeds of it, if you like, were in the United States about 10 years before that. Okay. With uh, a company called Scharfenberger, who started to make chocolate from bean to bar in the most sort of basic way as a kind of weekend project and it really took off and they found a huge following in san francisco and around Mm -hmm. there and became very successful and they were eventually um, bought out by the giant hershey company Ah. (laughs) for about 50 million dollars yeah who promptly changed the way they made the chocolate which is often the way these things happen Um, but that that whole thing kick-started a kind of bean to bar movement Mm. And it gradually spread all over the world. And it start, things really started to happen in Britain about 10 years ago. And right. it's been growing uh, slowly but noticeably ever since.
1: And who were the original people in Britain that started that movement?
2: Well, one of the, the first two people mm-hmm. that really got it going um, were a couple of people called Willie Harcourt Coos yeah. down in the West Country and a man called Duffy Sheardown up in Cleethorpes in Uh, North Lincolnshire. So Willie has quite a name um, in the chocolate industry, but also a little wider. Mm -hmm. He's made documentaries and so on in the past. He's quite a flamboyant sort of character. But he's very passionate about what he does. And he's managed to build a successful business on very strong principles. Mm -hmm. And you can now get his bars quite widely Mm -hmm. in the UK. And Duffy up in Cleethorpes... um, got going individually sort of off his own bat when he found out about this concept. And he was an engineer with a a, a background in Formula One motor racing of all things. And um, he thought that he'd like a go at doing this just from scratch. So he he kind of built his own machines and now he makes wonderful chocolate in Cleethorpes that is used worldwide, not only by chocolate connoisseurs, but by chefs and by other chocolate confectionery makers who oh, wow. really value the, the stuff that he makes.
1: And he just does that from his, did it just start in his he, garden basically? This, <laughs> is,
2: this is often the, the case with um, bean to bar chocolate making, that people start on the kitchen table or in the garden shed. They start mm-hmm. in the most humble possible surroundings because it's something that you can do very simply. You really need the minimum of equipment and you can start with um, a sort of machinery that you've improvised from stuff that you have around the home. Mm. And you can start in a very small way. And as word spreads and you start to get more successful on a commercial level, you expand what you do. So that to follow the example of the two I've just been mentioning, um, Willie now has an extraordinary um, kind of factory complex in Devon, yeah. which is a series of huge sheds. He himself doesn't <laughs> know quite how many. Um, which are which contain very sophisticated chocolate making equipment, but it, it still has that sort of sense of artisanal, amateurish. Yeah, you know, not that quite kind sure what we're doing. About it. But we do. And similarly, Duffy has a very modern setup in Cleethorpes mm. now, but it's still in a shed. I mean, it's yeah. quite a big shed, but, <laughs> but it, he hasn't kind of deviated too no. far from his roots. And this is what I found very appealing: is that people who are are making. A very, a product that tastes very sophisticated and mm. very finished, yeah, are still working in relatively humble surroundings, yeah. which is nice, yeah. And they can often be close to places that mean a lot to them personally, mm. and that's something that I wanted to write about in my book, which was this sense of, of place and a rootedness in their local communities, which I think is very yeah. important to what they do,
1: especially in a place like Cleethorpes. It's not the place you'd imagine a bean to bar producer to be is it absolutely so i think that's yeah that's a great unique touch as well it
2: really is and these are i I found traveling around the country that um although what they were doing was superficially similar Mm. they all want to make good chocolate in the right way um the way they go about it there are sort of subtle changes in approach and subtle changes in the the kind of bars that they're producing and that to some extent reflects the way that these people live the way that they've chosen to live often they're doing this for family reasons you know because they want to live in a in a good way and 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 work close to their children and be part yeah. of their local community and often it's local shops that sell what they make first of all yeah and i think that's really important and it this so this is is something that's not just a food story but it's a lifestyle story in the sort of broadest possible sense and yeah. i find that really appealing
1: so you mentioned how, um, although everyone's trying to achieve the same thing, they're all, they've all got nuances in what they're doing. Yeah. What, what are those? So how do they differ?
2: Well, the, the basic process of making a bar of chocolate doesn't differ all that much mm-hmm. from, the, from somebody operating on the kitchen table up to somebody producing hundreds of thousands of bars mm-hmm. a year. Precisely how you go about that offers an almost limitless variety of of options from um, how long you roast the beans Mm. to how long you process them. Um, There's a a thing called conching, which affects how smooth the chocolate is once it comes out. And then, of course, there are things about the percentage of cocoa that you use to the percentage of sugar and whether or not you want to um, put any additions, subtle flavorings, things like fruit or nuts into the chocolate. Um, and beyond that, the kind of philosophy that you want to pursue. Mm. And there are chocolate makers who believe, for instance, that even roasting the beans is a step too far. Oh, wow. They want to be so close to the chocolate that they make. The raw products. That they make raw chocolate bars, where the beans are unroasted, they're just fermented and then processed, made into bars. And so that that affects the kind of philosophy, the way Mm. you go about it. And for people who who feel very close to the spiritual origins of chocolate, the the less you do to the bean, the better. The closer you then are to the origin of the beans and to the people that grew them in the first place
1: so um, yeah you mentioned that the people that grew them these producers so you mentioned I mean for those that haven't read the book yet what basically what you do is you travel around the country meeting different beans bar producers and telling their story so we've got the likes of Pump Street Chico-Co, um even Hotel Chocolat and that haven't we um, but what I want to know is do they work How do they meet the farmers that they work with?
2: (laughs) (laughs) They go about that in in various different ways. Some of them work directly with farmers. They spend a lot of time traveling out to the regions where cocoa is grown Mm -hmm. and meeting the growers and arranging to import their beans Mm -hmm. sort of in person. Right. Right. That's hugely labor intensive. Yeah. And for a small operator, that can be quite challenging.
1: Yeah, and costly. And
2: costly, (laughs) absolutely. And yet there are makers who still do that because they believe that's the right thing to do. Um, And there are other makers who um, have made those journeys and have visited the farmers and understood the way they operate, Um, but also forward relationships with um, kind of middlemen, traders, who can communicate with the farmers and assemble a consignment of beans, which will then be shared out among makers at this end. Right. So, for example, if you go all the way to the farm gate in Ecuador to mm-hmm. source your beans and spend time with the farmer and buy a couple of sacks of beans, that will be massively expensive mm-hmm. when you get back to this country and start to make your bars of chocolate. Yeah. And you then have to sell the bars of chocolate for an enormous amount of money. Yeah. If you link up with trusted traders who will be assembling a consignment of beans for a number of makers in this country, then you can end up with what's effectively an ocean going container load of mm. sacks of beans that all come from farmers who are trusted and understood by the traders and which will all be used by small makers at this end of the process. Right. So what I found is that there's a, a network of people mm. who all believe in this way of operating and who share consignments of beans from various origins and various locations. So that way the farmers get a proper price for what they've grown. Mm -hmm. And the chocolate makers at this end know that the beans they're working with have been grown in the right way with respect for the environment and that the people who've grown them are getting Mm -hmm. properly rewarded.
1: And I guess um, because the industry, there still aren't, many beans bar makers though obviously we talk about a lot in the book but I guess it's a very supportive industry so people do want to help each other out in that way they do Do, (laughs) or is there rivalry
2: (laughs) well there's obviously rivalry but it really is friendly rivalry. yeah I mean I've been around the people who make chocolate now for a good number of years Mm. and everybody wants to taste what other people are making yeah and uh, and they often comment on what other people are making and they don't always comment favorably. No. <laughs> but they share the enthusiasm. Yeah. And they also share the beans. Yeah. And when a consignment of something interesting comes in from Vietnam, mm. from Madagascar, from from India, which has recently become a really mm. interesting source of beans, then people have a go at making a bar or two themselves. And they might share out mm. the consignment that they've got and yeah. say, well, you have a go at this. You have a, a go with your techniques and your yeah. preferred methods and then they come together at a chocolate fair or a pop-up mm. and compare each other's practices and yeah. and they kind of good-naturedly see who's made the best bar from and, the same kind of beans.
1: And like you say, because they all are doing things slightly differently, even though you've got the same beans, each one will result in a slightly different bar, won't it? Because, Absolutely, yeah, yeah
2: because uh, it, it's not just um, the personality that you bring to it, but the techniques as yeah. well. And people have their own kind of very ingrained philosophies and beliefs in the way they go about things. So yeah. it's really interesting to see the different ways they can come up with good stuff.
0: Stick around to hear more from Ellie and Andrew, including a masterclass in how to taste chocolate.
1: What are some of the um, most unusual or exciting bars that you tried across your journey
2: Um, i think the most unusual uh, are probably the bars um made by forever cacao up in in north wales a wonderful guy called pablo who lives in a a really beautiful old farmhouse (laughs) in the middle of nowhere in north wales nice and he makes um raw chocolate Mm. he um first Uh, encountered chocolate when he was given an entire bar of raw chocolate at somebody's Mm -hmm. birthday party (laughs) and ate it all in one go. A big (laughs) bar. And he had a kind of quasi-psychedelic experience and he decided he needed to look into that further. So he explored the kind of spiritual history Mm. of chocolate and he has a very deep belief that it's a, a very healthful and beneficent food stuff and that Mm. it needs to be treated with the utmost respect. So um, Pablo makes these little bars of chocolate in his farmhouse kitchen in North Wales. And he makes only as much as he feels like making. Nice. He lives with his family in the farmhouse. And if he feels like spending time with his children, that's what he does. And if he feels like making some bars of chocolate, that's what he does too. He sells locally and he sells online. And he is absolutely not driven by the kind of capitalist profit model. He's driven by respecting the substance that he's working Mm. with and respecting the people who've grown the the cocoa. So his bars, are they they taste unusual. You know, raw chocolate is not extraordinarily different in taste from roasted bean chocolate, but it is different. Yeah. And something about the way that he goes about it and the way that it's made for me infuses the bars. Yeah. And I just love sitting with him and listening to his story and tasting his chocolate as we went along. Yeah. So he makes a wonderfully unusual stuff. And then sort of at the other extreme is um, Willie's cacao mm. down in Devon. And Willie um, works on a much, much larger scale, although he's very in touch with the the growers, especially mm. in Venezuela. He visits mm. often. Um, But he has a much more experimental approach to chocolate, and he's very much into um, flavors and um, even different colors of bar. And he will make an extraordinary white chocolate, an extraordinary matcha green bar. Mm. He will make um, chocolate that's flavored with additions, so it's much more sort of playful approach. And I love that as well. Yeah. And then down in Cornwall, you've got Chocolada, who make Mm. really beautiful bars where the ingredients, the addition to the Mm. bars, um, are locally foraged.
1: Oh, lovely. So Mm.
2: they make a wonderful gorse flower bar, which is one of my absolute favorite bars of chocolate. It's a dark milk, so that's a a milk chocolate bar with a high cocoa content. And it's flavored with gorse flower which obviously grows in abundance yeah. on the cliffs in Cornwall oh. and has a wonderful, gentle, sort of honeyish oh,
0: flavour and
2: odour to it, which is a very beautiful bar of chocolate yeah. indeed. Um, so they're unusual. But I mean, what I love is, is tasting and comparing bars of chocolate that are made with beans from different origins all mm. over the world, but also made in different cities around Britain. And yeah. it's really fascinating to me to see what Dormouse in Manchester mm have done with beans from Madagascar. And then compare that to what Duffy in East Anglia or Pump Street, who are also in East East Anglia, Chocolate Tree up in Edinburgh, to see what they've done with the same kind of beans from Mm. the same sort of origin. It's just so fascinating. It's an endless different variety of flavors and approaches to try out.
1: And I guess they're also all working with what they have. So like you say, in Manchester, the ingredient they can't go to the coast and forage for their for their ingredients, can <laughs> they? True. So yeah, that's interesting. It's seeing what they can do with the local produce as well.
2: That's right. That's right.
1: Um, so you mentioned origin in the chocolate, and with coffee, you hear a lot of times single origin. This yeah. is a single origin bean, and all this is single origin important in uh, beans bar chocolate, or are beans multiple beans used? In uh, it,
2: it's it's important because. Um, Bean-to-bar chocolate looks to bring out something of the character mm. of the beans, and that's obviously best achieved when you have beans from a single country. Yeah, Not necessarily a single location within that country, but beans from a single country tend to reflect the climate in which they were grown, the microclimate in which they were grown, the soil they were grown in. Mm-hmm. and and also something of an individual character themselves. So beans from Madagascar tend to have a kind of red fruit flavor, mm. which is very distinctive indeed. And yeah. um, beans from Vietnam might be more of a, a citrusy angle. Uh, beans from Indonesia will often have a smoky overtone because of the way that the beans are fermented there, often over a kind of low fire rather oh, okay. than um, using natural fermentation. Yeah. So there is a an, an individual character which is reflected in taste, yeah. which is, I wouldn't say it's easily identifiable, but it's usually identifiable yeah. in the finished product. So that's why single origin is important. It's not something that... Um, that I would die to defend. No. But it's a really interesting dimension. Yeah. And it's something that bean-to-bar chocolate has that mass-produced chocolate doesn't have. Yeah. For obvious reasons of scale, Mm -hmm. somebody like Cadbury's can't say that all the cocoa in a bar of dairy milk comes from one location. The fact is they've got no idea. (laughs) No. Um, So it's just generic chocolate. Yeah. So a bean-to-bar maker knows pretty much exactly where yeah. all their beans come from and it's important to me that the finished bar of chocolate reflects in some way the origin of the yeah. beans and some people take it even further than that and they will have locations from a particular place wow. within the region from Okumar in Venezuela mm-hmm. from Sambirano Valley in Madagascar um, Hotel Chocolat make a bar from a, a single estate in Saint Lucia. Oh yes, yeah, um, which they're very proud of. Yeah, and I think you know that obviously takes it to extremes. Yeah, so you've got to be, you've got to work very hard as a connoisseur mm. to identify those different flavors yes. to that degree. But again, it's another another level of fascination.
1: Yeah, and I guess for traceability purposes, it's great to have that single origin because you'll be able to if something ever did go wrong, you can say right, we can go back to this. Country, this farm, and we'll know
2: absolutely what might have happened. Yeah, and it's so it's, it's traceability, which is important in in ethical terms mm, as well. Yeah. Because if you know that the um, beans have come from a particular location or from a particular supplier, then even even if the maker hasn't visited that supplier in person, they will know somebody who has. Yeah, and they'll be able to verify that these beans have been farmed. Uh, ethically that mm-hmm. is with consideration for the environment yeah but also that the farmers themselves are able to get sufficient reward for their beans and yeah. that their families are able to lead good lives yeah so there are companies whose chocolate does not quite come within what you might call a bean to bar boundaries mm. i'm thinking of a company like divine
1: yes yeah
2: where even though they don't make bean to bar chocolate they make what you might call industrial chocolate, they yeah. still have a great concern for where the beans are grown and the communities in which the beans are grown. So you can broaden out the kind of bean-to-bar message yeah. to include chocolate that's made in a good way, that's made by people whose heart is in the right place. Mm. And you have a concern for the farmers and for the crop itself, which is incredibly important.
1: So I think you have already sold it to everyone listening. But... Um... <laughs> Why should be, people be eating beans bar chocolate?
2: Because it tastes delicious. There right? we go. Reason number one. <laughs> yeah. Because it tastes delicious. But also because there are dimensions to it that there aren't in ordinary chocolate. Mm. It's a way of, um, of improving your eating life
0: mm.
2: by understanding more about what you're eating. I mean, I really hesitate to use the word mindful because it's been so overused. Mm. But if you approach eating a bar of chocolate in the way that you might approach drinking a glass of very beautiful wine. Yeah. And try to understand the sensations that you're experiencing mm-hmm. as you eat that chocolate. Then you are respecting the people that grew it and you're respecting the people that made mm-hmm. it. And you're also allowing yourself to have a really enjoyable experience. Yeah. It's not a chocolate sh- to my mind shouldn't be about loading up with sugar and fat. It shouldn't be about getting an instant buzz mm. or fulfilling some sort of craving about which we then feel guilty and yeah. You know, it should be a real pleasure. And I think that if you look for a bar of chocolate that's been made with care and made with respect and then eat it with care and respect mm. rather than sort of wolfing yeah. it all down in one go then that's a really kind of life-affirming experience. And the main thing is, it tastes really great. And it tastes great, great. yeah. It's it's a win-win situation. And the point is that a really good bar of chocolate made in the right way, it might even only cost twice as much as mass-produced chocolate, but you get more than twice the pleasure from it. Mm. You don't have to scarf it all down in one go. You can take your time with it and you can share it with your friends and you can get so much value out of a bar of good bean-to-bar chocolate made by people in Britain who really care about what they're doing. And I really, really hope that the book I've written persuades people to go out and try that out. And, you know, to share the experience with their friends.
1: So I think we should also talk about... how you, how you taste chocolate? Obviously, you're an international chocolate judge, so you know a thing or two about eating chocolate. But what is it you're looking for? What is it you're looking to smell, to taste, the texture? Can you talk us through that?
2: Absolutely. So it's all of those things. And it, it's important to, um, to take your time with it. So mm. unwrap the bar carefully and have a good sniff. Have a smell. See what you can get from the aroma of the chocolate. Because when you... Um, unwrap an, a, a bar of ordinary mass-produced chocolate you probably don't notice how it smells the reason mm. for that is that it doesn't smell of anything much if you get up really close to a bar of Cadbury's Dairy Mill mm. you will smell practically nothing mm. you'll get a faint hint of sort of sweet
0: mm. hot sugar. drink cocoa yeah. and sugar
2: and very little else but the aroma of a, a proper bar of bean to bar chocolate should give you a kind of foretaste of what you're going to enjoy so get that aroma hold it obviously close to your nose
1: we've got some chocolate here now i'm working
2: (laughs) this is work i promise you i'm working with a bar of of willie's sambirano gold which is a madagascan dark chocolate 71% Mm. cacao one of my favorites and i've taken it out of the wrapper i've snapped it off as you snap the chocolate listen to see if you get a clean Clear snap. Is that what you want? That That's important. That snap. shows that it's been well made and that the texture mm. is is proper. If it's a sort of soft, if it kind of gives up without a struggle, yeah, then the texture will be disappointing. So a sharp snap, and then the texture. It should be smooth. If it's been beautifully conched, if it's been well made, you run your finger across it. The texture should be smooth, and the texture within the bar should be even. Nice and shiny helps as nice. well. Nice. And then have a good sniff to see what kind of aromas you get.
1: Yes, so I is that what, where you'll get the fruity or the nutty? That's when you first
2: get a hint of what's to come. Okay. And then break off a small bit, perhaps half the size of a postage, postage stamp. Okay. Stick it on your tongue and try not to swallow it.
1: Okay, wait for it to <laughs> <laughs> resist and the it, urge. If you
2: possibly can, let it melt on your tongue. Okay. one of the magical things about chocolate, one of the most wonderful things about chocolate is that it melts at the temperature of the human body.
1: Yeah.
2: If it's been properly made and it's not full of fat and junk, mm. then it will melt at the temperature of the human body. It will melt on the on your tongue. Mm. And that releases the, the natural fats and oils that are within the chocolate. Mm. And it releases the aromas as well. Breathe in as it melts on your tongue. Because a great deal of what you perceive as taste is actually aroma. Okay. So you get the uh, the the... Aromatic oils in the chocolate, actually the aroma travels up the back of your mouth and to the back of your nose. So what you perceive as taste comes a fair bit from your nose as well. Let it melt on your tongue and think about how the flavour is behaving in your mouth, where you're sensing sweet and sharp and floral and smoky.
1: Mm.
2: And work hard at the sensations that you're getting. And then eventually... You can swallow it. And then think about the aftertaste. Mm. Think about the memory. Think about what, in wine terms, you'd call the finish. Yes. And then, uh, if you've got time, write it down. Yeah. And then have another bit. Yeah. (laughs) Just to. (laughs) And then continue to enjoy those sensations. Yeah. And write down the things that it it calls to mind. Mm. It might call to mind red fruits or a soft fruit, a banana, a mango, Mm. might call to mind fresh flowers might call to mind honey or some sharper flavors citrus fruits smoky notes perhaps Mm. there's a whole different range of flavors that you can experience and that's the way to to taste chocolate in a kind of thoughtful way Mm. or you can just eat it
1: but I guess I guess doing it that way also if you make notes each time you'll learn about what you really like and one from Absolutely. a bar
2: of chocolate. Absolutely. And then when you've, when you've had the opportunity, I hope you get the opportunity mm. to taste a range of chocolate yeah. made from different beans, different countries, then you'll get an idea of what you like. You'll also get an idea of what whether you prefer a, a high cocoa percentage mm. in a bar, very dark chocolate, 85% cocoa solids or above, mm. or a dark milk of about 55% or a milk chocolate, I won't judge you. Yeah, you yeah. Know, if it's a milk chocolate, that's fine. 40, 40% cocoa solids, yeah. that, as long as it's made well with beans that are properly grown,
1: yeah. made
2: with love, then that's absolutely fine. But so work your way around the whole range. Yeah. And tasting thoughtfully work out what you like best and then you know share your ideas with your friends
1: yeah and that way the bean to bar chocolate movement is going to spread isn't it that way more people are going to learn about it
2: absolutely yeah more share the love
0: so go buy yourself a a lovely chocolate bar as well as soon as
1: possible (laughs) as soon now
0: So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you liked this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can still pick up a copy of our August issue on the newsstand now, or go and download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.